2: misfortune of monday night even though i do believe he had cramps i definitely believe he had cramps here's todd Gurley getting in on the act he dropped his phone in the toilet while taking care of business and uh followed it up he realized after the fact hey i can i can throw something at lamar jackson yo lj era eight any tips my dude so no one is steering clear of the perception that lamar jackson had to take a bathroom break on monday night and i I firmly believe it was cramps because it doesn't take that long. If that's why he was doing an hour walk down, right? Yeah, it doesn't take that long. We've all been there. We've all seen that walk, that quick hustle to the facilities. We've all been there. We've all done that. But if that is how it is on the front end, I'm trying very hard not to be graphic here. You don't require the amount of time that he did to solve the problem. That's no. that's my take on it.
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're if you're in the bathroom that long for an hour, you go to the hospital <laughs> at some point. Okay? I mean that's <laughs> yes. I don't know what else to yes. say. There's an issue. You've been in there for an hour. We need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. All right. So yes. it was cramps. It is a really long <laughs> cramp uh, you know, absence. I will say that, but Uh, I, I think that's, what's being lost in translation. If he was in there for more than 30 minutes, I think you start to go, Hey doc, we might need to go to the hospital. There's something bad here. So we'll, uh, I, I, yeah, it's just cramps. It's still amazing that whole circumstance and how it went down. And, uh, I'm uh, actually kind of sick of talking about the bathroom talk with it. (laughs) I, I
2: just, I, I, uh, yes, uh, as am I. Uh, but, uh, Uh, you know it just shows you how and he's been a great sport about it I have so much more respect for Lamar Jackson just by virtue of the fact that he has handled this in a self-aware self-deprecating way he's not miffed he's not upset he's not how dare you I'm the reigning NFL MVP there are other quarterbacks out there that would that would not be pleased and they'd they'd try to be funny about it in an awkward way that would make it clear that deep down they're pissed off about it. Sorry, London. Lamar just owned it. It's great. He just owned it and he's in on it, too. And it's, it's 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 great how he's handled it. All right. Uh, Some quarterback injury updates unrelated to Monday Night Cramps. Drew Brees activated to return to practice. A three-week window is now open for him to return to the active roster. You get a little bit of a free roster spot here. During this three weeks, he can practice. He doesn't count toward the 53-man roster at some point. He needs to be put on the 53-man roster, whether or not he's ready to play. His status for Sunday is uncertain, said Coach Sean Payton on Wednesday in speaking to reporters. We haven't ruled anything out just because we don't have to. He's got a ways to go still, and he's someone we're not going to hurry back and just put him in the game. I think it was Jay Glazer who reported over the weekend that – it's highly unlikely that Breeze will play on Sunday for the Saints against the Chiefs. The more likely return for Breeze would be Christmas Day against the Minnesota Vikings. And I've seen the 100% rule or something close to it. I think it was Shefty on Monday night that they aren't going to play him until he's nearly 100%. Anytime I hear that, I think we're holding open the possibility of riding with the backup as long as the backup's playing at an acceptably high level. And You know, there's – that's the ultimate balance that a team has to deal with. Do we want starting quarterback at whatever percentage he may be less than 100 or do we want backup at 100? It depends on who the backup is and it depends on who the starter is.
3: Yeah, and it depends on, you know, where you are as a football team during the season, right? I mean, I think that's another, you know, part of the conversation too. And where do you hold yourself in regards to the rest of the NFL – as far as your chances to make a run in the playoffs or the super bowl in a year where, yeah, of course the saints would like to play in the dome and there's the whole drew Brees and bad weather conversation and all that. But you know, as we know, home field advantage is less important this year than ever before. So, okay, let's not sacrifice the season just to rush back drew Brees five days earlier than he should or whatever. You know, so I think it's a smart move. They're clearly one of the best teams in the NFC. They're going to have one of the higher seeds. We know that. And that rib injury for his age, you know, we talked about it a lot. One, we know it's probably still delicate when he throws the football. But the big thing is he needs to be able to take hits and do that. And, you know, here's the other interesting aspect of this, Mike, too. Like, just I, I want to hear your take. You know, if you're the if you're the Saints, You know, you don't really want to throw a 90% or 85% Drew Brees out there in this game. And then what? Okay, maybe he doesn't play as well. Maybe you lose by 20 points to the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. You know, if that happened to where you have to play them in the Super Bowl again, I think that has a psychological effect on your football team a little bit to where I don't know if I'd want the Chiefs to have that, you know, advantage on me or my team to think that way to where, I would be reluctant as long as that's con- as far as that's concerned, too.
2: You have a little max headroom action there with your I saw uh, that camera hook up. Yeah, that was good. That was good. It actually had the max headroom sound effect there for a second. We'll but you heard me, right? That. You could still hear me. So clearly? I heard everything you said. I heard everything you said. All and right. everything you said for a change made sense. The idea, <laughs> the idea that, that that you don't want to put Breeze out there if he's diminished. When we had Sean Payton on the PFT PM show last week he he said, look, you've got all that torquing, all those muscles in the rib cage. when you try to turn to throw a football, there's going to be pain. There's going to be discomfort. And, you know, whether or not they have a, a, an appointment between Drew Brees and Dr. Needle, there are potential complications from that as well. So, uh, yeah, you go with the guy who's healthy if he's playing well enough. And, and don't listen to this nonsense that just because he had one bad game, Taysom Hill doesn't have it. What quarterback right. is great every single week? Who's great every single week? And it wasn't Hill. It was the defense on Sunday that betrayed the Saints. You give up 250 rushing yards. Doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. You have 250 rushing yards. You're going to have a hard time winning the football game, Chris.
3: Yeah, I, that's exactly right. I mean, the Saints went into the game, I think, with a little bit of arrogance. I think they just thought, hey, we're we're on fire. We're the Saints, and we're just going to beat you. We're not going to change up a whole lot of what we do. And it's just, you might know what we're going to do, and so what? And they, they, you know, hit a team that, no, could physically match them that way. And, hey, yeah, we talked about it a lot. The fact that there was no Jalen Hurts game plan, I, I still don't understand that. Definitely not. And, you know, you're totally right about the Taysom Hill thing, too. And the first half of that football game, listen, it wasn't Taysom Hill that was the issue or anything like that. You know, the big issue was, I I would say, is Sean Payton. He just, they were a little too run-centric. And then, of course, they missed a field goal and made some mistakes there, too, that hurt their football team. But when they came out in the second half and they kind of played pass first and played through the pass game, Taysom Hill played really well. You can't, you know, the fourth and one fumble, okay, yeah, he made a mistake. He You know, there's people open. He should have hit Michael Thomas at the very least. It's not a perfect game. You're going to make mistakes. But, I mean, I think to your point is what I'm saying is it's not time to panic or go, oh, we got to get Drew in there because Taysom looks so bad we have no chance. No, that's not the case at all.
2: And the question that I have when Drew is able to come back, how different will that offense look in comparison to what it was pre-injury? Will we see more Taysom Hill? We spent a large chunk of the early part of the season saying, why aren't they using this guy more? He was great in the playoff loss to the Vikings, and it just felt like they were using him sparingly Maybe they won't with the season on the line as they get closer and closer to the playoffs. When they get into January, I think we'll see more of him, regardless of what Drew Brees' situation is. I just think it's smart to use your best players, and Hill is clearly one of their best players right now. Other quarterback news, let's swing up to New York, where the Giants will be playing the Browns on Sunday night football. Here's Daniel Jones, the starting quarterback, who has hamstring problem, ankle injury. He was asked yesterday if he's hurting the team by trying to play while he's injured.
0: Would it ever enter your mind that with a sore hamstring with a sore ankle that going out
3: there would hurt the team and is that something you would consider? Uh that's you know not a decision that that's uh up to me. I don't I don't make those decisions. My job is to prepare to play and and you know do everything I can to to be prepared.
2: Yeah, look, I mean It really isn't up to him. The coach says you're going to play, you're going to play. It's up to the coaching staff to decide whether or not it's hurting the team to have a guy out there who isn't 100% and whether or not it's hurting the guy to be out there if he's not 100%. I I don't think that he was 100% by any stretch on Sunday against the Cardinals, and he emerges from the game with an ankle injury, possibly a product of playing when he had a bad hamstring.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know, he's being careful. He certainly wasn't running like we, you know, usually see him run with the football last week. I think there was definitely a, a conscious effort to not move him in the pocket and also for the quick passing game last week because I think they didn't want him to, you know, hold the ball too long and then have to run and move the pocket and do those type of things as well some point in the game, he obviously aggravated it too. So it's the hamstring that and and listen, the coach makes a decision, but it is on the player to a degree to let him know like where you're at realistically. You know, you don't wanna go into the game and just play and okay, I wanna play for my own personal, I wanna play because I don't want the backup to get in the football game and have him have success and maybe they win without me and do all that. Okay, I know that's tough as a starting quarterback, but you also don't want to go in the game where, okay, I can't function and I'm hurting the football team. You know, when it gets to that point, you do have to be realistic with the coach and have a man's to man conversation there just to let him know. I think that's very real. All right. So uh, I do think it's on him a little more than he's trying to let on to. And, and one last thing, Mike, it, it, man, his running is such a big part of this offense. They need him. I mean, especially against Cleveland. We saw their run defense is not good. And Daniel Jones is second on the Giants in rushing behind Wayne Gallman. He's a bit, that's a big part of what they do to help their offense out. They're not that explosive. So to not have that really hinders their chance to pull off an upset or beat the Cleveland Browns.
2: Colt McCoy didn't have a huge game statistically when the Giants went to Seattle and beat the Seahawks. And this is the same analysis we talked about earlier. Do you take Daniel Jones at less than 100% or Colt McCoy at 100%? The Giants clearly made the strategic decision against the Cardinals to go with a diminished Jones over a healthy McCoy. And we'll see if they make that decision On Sunday night when the Giants host the Browns a huge game for the Giants they now have to make up a game against Washington down the stretch or they will not make it to the playoffs and for a while it was just starting to feel like it was destined that Joe Judge would take the Giants to the playoffs in his first season with the team a couple of other quarterback issues let's stay in the NFC East Alex Smith the Washington football team quarterback calf injury he says he feels all right but he's uncertain if he can play on Sunday against the Seahawks that would put the guy who had become persona non grata, De- uh, Dwayne Haskins, back on the field. I mean, he didn't blow it on Sunday. I mean, when you have a great defense, it just, you know, you don't need the offense to do much. But, but it's one thing to have Dwayne Haskins thrust into the game. It's another thing to give the Seahawks a chance to game plan for him if he's going to be the guy. Obviously, Chris, Washington has a much better chance of winning if Alex Smith is playing quarterback.
3: Yeah, definitely. But I I don't think it's crazy to think that they could somehow pull off a win with Dwayne Haskins. Now, Dwayne Haskins, yeah, he's not going to be able to manage the football game. He's going to have to really play a conservative type of football and not be, you know, a young stud and try to show everybody he's got a big right arm and he can fit in a ball in between, you know, Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner down the middle you got to realize what your team is. He did look comfortable last week. I'll give him that. You know, guys on the team seemed to be happy for him that he was playing in the game. And, you know, he seemed like he knew where he wanted to go with the ball. They're going to have to manage him a little bit, certainly. But, uh, yeah, it lessens their chances of, of me thinking Washington can pull off a win there if Alex Smith is not in the in the football game.
2: Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford on the injury report with a Rib, which I guess means only one because with Breeze it was ribs, and we eventually found out reportedly it's 11. Still, that one is enough to keep Matthew Stafford out of practice. He's got a lingering right thumb problem. He's not ruling himself out for Sunday at Tennessee. The Lions playing out the string here, but Stafford trying to put some film together that may get someone else interested potentially if it's not in the cards for him to stay in Detroit. That's just one of the many questions that needs to be resolved. But you know, you, you want to finish strong, whether to impress the new coaching staff if you do want to stay, or to get yourself higher on the list of quarterbacks that another team may be thinking about bringing in. He could be an equivalent to a Philip Rivers, a Tom Brady, a guy who leaves the place he's been for a long time, and it's been a very long time in Detroit, and goes somewhere else next year.
3: Yeah, except, you know, he's closer to his prime of his career than those guys are, at least. You know, that's that's where it could be interesting. And I think there's a number of teams that kind of quietly have Matthew Stafford on their radar for, for, you know, the chances or the circumstances that you mentioned that he's not there with the lions. And I think there's a very real possibility that that marriage ends. Certainly, uh, I, Matthew Stafford, if he can play in this football game, you know, this Titans past defense, we know it's crappy. So he can make things interesting. I really do think so. With, with their offense and the kind of the balance they have a little bit, uh, that, that's a big game changer there. You know, the Titans are going to move the ball at will on the Lions. That is for sure. I mean, Derrick Henry could have 200 yards rushing again this week. It, it's a very real possibility. But, you know, yeah, if it wants to be a competitive game, they need Stafford out there to make some of those big throws that he usually makes.
2: I just don't think Stafford's ever gotten the highest level of coaching that he needs to get the most out of him given his unique Agreed. traits. He's he's not the 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 prototypical sheriff. He's not the natural born leader. He's almost right. more of an Eli Manning than a, than a Peyton Manning. And 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 I think what you need is a locker room and an organization where the leadership comes from other places. And he's just asked to go out and throw the football. I think that's all he wants to do, and that's fine. It's it. I've always sensed that about Matthew Stafford, and I've always sensed he hasn't gotten that right button pressing, the right motivation, the right coaching, the right guidance to be the absolute best he can be. He's still been pretty damn good, but I'm talking about winning. I just feel like it hasn't fallen together for him. And there's got to be a coach out there thinking, if I get him in here in my organization with my locker room, with my coaching staff, with my players, he's going uh, to be even better.
3: Oh Yeah, Chris. I, I, Chris. I know. Yeah, now he's I'm, back. I'm back. You hear me now? Yep, I know. I got you. I so gotcha. You cut out on me just a little bit, but I, I heard most of that. And, I mean, Mike, you're spot on. I only heard what you said in the beginning and the end, but either way, I think you're spot on there. You know, again, it's not always – we put quarterbacks on a pedestal where we expect them to be the culture of the football team sometimes, and that's very rare that that really happens. It's very rare, and in fact, I would say with most of the great quarterbacks of all time, the ones we really hold in the pantheon, the Super Bowl quarterbacks, that was never expected of them. You know, Terry Bradshaw it was about the defense, and Chuck Knoll, I mean, the 49ers. It was it was Bill Walsh set the 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 culture there. You know, we know that. You know, certainly. And of course, with Tom Brady and the Patriots is the same way too. But at times, I feel like we give those guys credit for all that. And I want to go no. If you put Matthew Stafford in some of those situations, his career would look a whole lot different. He hasn't had crap Ola around him his whole career. I mean. The ber- hundred yard rushers didn't happen the first nine years of his career. You know, he did have Calvin things, Johnson defense stink. Okay, he had Calvin Johnson. Whoopity do for uh, for the first four or five years. It's all he had though. I mean, it was nothing else. Crappy O line, no run game, no defense. Matt Stafford keep them close. You know, win some games with magic. Uh, they should really be 3 and 13, but now they're 7 and 9 and missed the playoffs, and everybody blames Matt Stafford when it's really like, no, the only reason they were competitive was because of Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson. And that's where I think the conversation goes wrong, at least in my eyes. We've never
2: seen a situation like this where a quarterback stayed for so long with one team without achieving a truly high degree of success. He has a 5,000 yard season or two, but or close to a second one, I think, but but not the postseason success. The idea that he could pivot to another team and find that success elsewhere, fascinating possibility, and there will be a coach out there secretly plotting for a bright future with Matthew Stafford. All right, the NFL has a bright future if you like more football. 256 regular season games at some point will expand to 272. Yesterday, the NFL took up the question of what the schedule would look like if they expand to 17 games, but they haven't voted on whether or not they will actually have 17 games. And we're working to get Chris Sims back to join in the conversation. I'm sure he's got some opinions on this. The NFL is waiting for one of many reasons, I me. to not... The NFL has not yet voted on going to 17 games. They've tabled that. And I think it now comes down to, number one, the, uh, the, the negotiations with the union on the salary cap. And as I said yesterday, making the union want the 17th game. So you don't have players constantly complaining about, we don't want to play 17 games. We don't want to play 17 games. Um, that's one of the issues. The network negotiations that are ongoing for long-term new contracts. Uh, that is part of it as well. And then on top of it, how long is the preseason going to be? They have to negotiate among themselves. There's a report from Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com saying that there's disagreement as to whether they should play three or two preseason games. So that has to all be worked out. I think they eventually will work it out. They'll eventually play 17 games. And if by eventually, I mean by 2021. We eventually will have Chris Sims back. We're going to take a break and try to work that out. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. You know, one of my favorite jokes ends with the line, sometimes the bull wins, Uh, sometimes the snowstorm wins. So we have technical issues today by virtue of the fact that there is a blizzard in the Northeast and around Stanford, Connecticut and New York City and the mean streets of Greenwich, where Christopher David Sims resides we will be getting him back hopefully sooner rather than later back to the 17 game season though what the NFL has decided to do even though they've yet not officially decided to embrace the 17th game the scheduling because right now the schedule formula is very simple. It's not all that simple to explain what you do every year. And I'm going to go ahead and try to do it while we're waiting to get Chris back. If you are a team in a given division, let's say you are the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. Every year you play the other three teams in your division. You play all four teams from another division in your conference. And then from the other two divisions, you play the teams that finished in the same spot you did. So if you win the division, you play those first place teams and then you play four teams from one division in the other conference and every team in your division plays all four teams from that division in the other conference well chris i see chris is back the 17th game is going to be a 5th interconference game based upon where you finish in your division and it will be for example all of the teams of the nfc north playing the teams of the afc east first place place first second place second, third place third and fourth place fourth. And what it ultimately gives you is a third game where where you finished last year affects who you play. And it's only 2 out of 16 now that is driven by where you finished the year before. That's going to become 3 with that fifth interconference game once they go to 17. And we expect that to happen by 2021. And it's just and I don't just, know. They fooled me. There he is. I hear him. I don't see him. I'm going to keep talking about this. I like it. And it's just a matter of time before they ultimately do it. They have the right to do it. That was the key to the CBA negotiations that happened back in March where the union eventually ratified the contract. The NFL has wanted for years to have that 17th game. They now are going to have that 17th game. It's just a question of when they ultimately say we invoke our right to have 17 games. But again, You want the union to buy in, you want the network contracts to work out, and you want to know what they're going to pay for the game, and you also have to figure out what you're going to do by way of preseason. There's another issue that's come up recently. We meant to get to this yesterday, but there were just too many other things to address. The question of what the union wants going forward, now that we've all experienced life in a pandemic and how work has become more efficient from home and things that used to be viewed as so essential To making your business run no longer are quite as important. And for the NFL, and specifically for the NFL Players Association, it's the OTAs, the organized team activities, all those weeks of workouts in the building, they've realized, you know what, it's really not that critical to getting a football team ready to go in September. And Demora Smith, the NFLPA executive director, said earlier this week on a conference call with reporters that And I quote, there's absolutely no reason for us to go back to full scale OTAs. Now, part of the reality is 99%, not quite 99, it's more like 95 or 93% of the offseason program is voluntary. But the reality is it's there. There's pressure on the players to be there. The coaches want them there. Teammates want them there. Young players see it's an opportunity to to curry favor with the coaches and show what they can do. So the veteran players are going to show up to protect their turf. If you just don't have them, no one's going to be there. If you have them, even if they're voluntary, you're going to have most of your players present. Demore Smith's position is you don't need to have these. We don't need to have these guys in the building. They can have more of an off season. They can have more of a life. Like anything else though, with collective bargaining, it's not going to happen unless there's a give and take, unless there's a trade-off. What do you give up as the union to get the NFL to give up these OTAs that we've seen for a generation or longer now in the National Football League? And I just can't help but wonder whether that was some sort of a signal to the league. Hey, if there's something you want to be asking for, uh, this is kind of what we would want in return. We want no OTAs. We want fewer OTAs. We want no training camp experiences where we're taken away from our families for a month. Guys should be able to stay at home. Training camp should be at the team facility. That's another thing that J.C. Treader, the NFLPA president, pointed out the other day. And I kind of like that too. Again, we're learning that you don't have to show up and punch a time clock to be productive. That can save the employer a ton of money because you don't need to have the same physical facilities where people show up for work. And it can make your employees more productive. The idea that People are going to be distracted. They're not going to get their work done. Look, you're ultimately accountable for what you do. And if you're an athlete, if you're not in shape, if you're not getting it done, then yeah, you're not going to have a job. The only thing that reduced OTAs will do to a football team, professional football team, it makes it harder for the younger players to get the attention of the coaches. It benefits the veteran players who otherwise would have to worry about losing their job to a guy who comes in and is there for all of the OTAs, and looks good, and they decide they can trust him, and maybe they give him some more responsibility going into training camp, and he performs well. They trust him some more. And the next thing you know, the veteran that was due to make $6 million is told, well, we only want to pay you $1 million this year, and if you don't like it, we're going to cut you, because we're comfortable with this guy that we've studied over the course of the last four months in all of these offseason workouts. So that that is one change that would occur if it would come to that Um and uh who knows again it it always is the product of collective bargaining we don't know what the union uh would want in return or would want to give up or be willing to give up if the nfl would say let's go ahead and uh, and reduce the ot otas or otherwise make changes all right um We're still working to get Christopher back. We have a draft. It's going to be hard to do a one-man draft. Let's take a break, and let's give it one more chance. We're going to pull on that lawnmower cord as hard as we can to try to get the engine rolling again. Uh, We'll take a quick break. More PFT Live coming at you right after this.
1: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait.
0: We misfit some runs. Sometimes our force isn't where it needs to be. Sometimes we don't tackle well. Uh, sometimes uh, it's a play here, it's a play there. But uh, we got to do everything better, honestly. We got a lot of work to do, but we have good players here. We got a good staff. It's a very difficult night because I love Paul and um, I'm going to miss him. But uh, we need a new voice right now and Marinelli's going to give it to us.
2: That's John Gruden talking about the change made to the Las Vegas Raiders defense an abrupt change that came on Sunday night after the Raiders lost to the Indianapolis Colts. Paul Gunther is out. Rod Marinelli is in with only three days to get ready. Congratulations and condolences all wrapped in one for Rod Marinelli. How about some props courtesy of points bet for tonight's game between the, The Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. What a strange sound that has when it was just San Diego and Oakland not that long ago. More passing yards tonight, Justin Herbert or Derek Carr. The points bet over under has Herbert at 277.5, Carr at 270.5. We're big fans of Justin Herbert. And look, Derek Carr has played extremely well this year. It's so close I tend to think that the Chargers are gonna be more likely to throw it all over the place. Although I saw a report this morning, both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams' true game time decisions due to injury, that would affect Herbert's ability to do what he would like to do in the passing game. And of course, Derek Carr doesn't have Henry Ruggs, the rookie receivers on the COVID-19 reserve list. I'm gonna go Herbert, though, just because I I just I think that the Chargers are gonna be looser. They got nothing to lose. Let's just go out and throw it around. Let's try to be aggressive and stretch the field, and score points, and try to get the Raiders on the ropes, and keep them on the ropes, and maybe end their playoff hopes. Will Justin Herbert break the rookie passing touchdown record by throwing three touchdowns? Points bet has him at plus 150 to go over two and a half passing touchdowns. He's quietly had a spectacular rookie season at quarterback. We had been so focused on Joe Burrow, and then when Burrow got injured, and Burrow was going to break all the records for rookie passing, except for interceptions, then Justin Herbert became the presumptive rookie of the year candidate. And if he sets the rookie passing touchdown record, he's got three games left to do it, and he only needs three. He will. That gives him a, a leg up on being the the rookie of the year. I'll say that tonight he won't go over two and a half. I would take the under. It's plus 150 to go over two-and-a-half passing touchdowns. More rushing yards tonight. Austin Eckler for the Chargers or Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. Points bet has the uh, over-under at Eckler for 55-and-a-half. Jacobs at 77. The Raiders' defense has allowed 200 or more rushing yards in two straight games. You know, Jacobs has been a little banged up. I I still think that what we're going to see from the Raiders is an effort to establish that run, especially without Ruggs present. The absence of rugs allows the Chargers defense to be a little more aggressive when it comes to stopping the run. I, I, I Let me say that I believe uh, Jacobs will have more rushing yards, but, but how about Eckler is more likely to beat his over under a 55 and a half? Better bet to get to 100 or more receiving yards tonight. Keenan Allen, again, I mentioned he is a game-time decision. He is plus 170 to get to 100. Darren Waller is plus 275. Hey, Waller, uh, it's feast or famine. He had that huge game a couple of weeks ago against the Jets, not nearly as huge against the Colts. Allen has 975 yards this year on an NFL-high 144 targets. I'll go Waller just because I like the odds a little bit more and because we know he's going to play We don't know if Keenan Allen's going to play. And with Henry Ruggs out, Waller may get more balls thrown his way by Derek Carr. Uh, Finally, will the Chargers allow a special teams touchdown? Points bet has yes at plus 1,500. The Chargers have allowed three special teams touchdowns this season, two of them two weeks ago against New England. I'll go ahead and say no. You you can't count on a special teams touchdown happening, although they tend to occur. What's going to happen now? Thank you, PFTPM Posse, with some... Questions posed so uh, we can continue to talk about football while we... It's hard to do a draft with one person. This would be the time in the show where we would do our matchup draft for Week 15. Draft isn't as fun when it's just one person. It's just like one person playing checkers. It really isn't fun for anyone, including the person playing checkers. How about this question from Coach Clough? For the next 10 years, if he had to bet on Super Bowl outcomes, would you take Mahomes and the Chiefs winning 5 out of 10 Or would you pick the field? I did have a dream last night that the Chiefs won this year. Not that that's any type of a stretch, but we were covering it even though we're not going to be there. And Travis Kelsey, I think, has a really big game and, Andy Reid talking about hamburgers again. I don't know. This is just when your life starts to infiltrate your dreams. But the idea of the Chiefs winning isn't nearly as crazy as pretty much any other team in the league. The Chiefs, the favorite now, the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. And even though I'm not a big fan of taking one team when I can take the field, when the field has 31 of them, at this point in the season, I wouldn't have done it before week one. At this point in the season, I'll take the Chiefs for this year. Five out of the next ten, though. There's just too many things that can happen over the course of 10 years. Injuries, other teams catching up. Maybe there's another Patrick Mahomes out there that's going to show up and level the playing field. Maybe that Patrick Mahomes is going to land in the AFC West and the Chiefs are going to face a tougher fight every year to try to get the best possible playoff positioning. Five out of the next 10, I'm taking the field versus the Chiefs. Uh, I, I just We can't expect that to happen. The Patriots never got five out of ten. I have to go back and do my math. They had clusters of three out of four twice, but they were spread apart by ten years. So even the Patriots, with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, never won five in in ten years. At Joe Paws 722, if the NFL expands to 17 games, will players make more money or will they play for the same amount per existing contracts? Part of the negotiation back in March addressed that, I believe. There was so much going on in March with the pandemic and everything, but I think it's just as simple as taking their current contract and adding a week at their current rate. I believe that's what happens. And the other side of it, too, more money becomes more salary cap room, more salary cap space, more spending that can be done by the individual team. So the player is currently not under contract, or the players whose contracts will expire in the future will have more money that they can try to get in their individual negotiations. And also, if there's more cap space, that guy who's got the five or $6 million non-guaranteed contract who may have to worry about being cut, he doesn't have to worry about being cut, or at least not as much, if there's more cap space, because then there's less of an urgency to get that guy's Cap number in line with what the cap is. So it's a win for the players. Yes, there are plenty of them that don't want to play a 17th game. There are real health and safety questions about whether or not it makes sense to expose players to that extra game. But there will be, without question, more money in the system to pay existing players, to pay rookies, to keep guys on the roster who otherwise would be potential cap casualties. Another one from Joe Paz, 72, who gets the number two seed in the AFC, the Bills or the Steelers? Right now, the Bills are 10-3, and three, the Steelers 11-2, and two, the Bills hold the head-to-head tiebreaker, and the Steelers still have the Colts and the Browns. One of the disappointments from Monday night, even though I picked the Ravens to win and I love being right, the reality is that uh, with the Browns losing... This late season possibility of the Browns catching the Steelers has gone out the window. Unless the Steelers would lose to the Bengals on Monday night, the Browns don't have a chance to win the division. The question is, do the Bills have a chance to catch the Steelers? I have a feeling, based on how the Steelers have been playing lately, they're going to lose one of these next two games. Now, that doesn't mean the Bills are going to run the table, but right now... I think the Bills are going to end up with a number two seed. And, you know, that may not be a good thing because the Ravens, if they get the number seven seed, I don't know that I want to mess with the Ravens in the wild card round. I'd love to see a Steelers-Ravens rematch. I'd love to see a Browns-Ravens rematch in the postseason. The Ravens, as we've said yesterday, they may be able to get past this question of whether or not they're going to fall flat on their faces in the playoffs by treating the final five games of the regular season like playoff games. They're going to be in playoff mode. They're not at home like they were in 2018 against the Chargers. They're not at home like they were in 2019 after a week off against the Titans. And remember, they shut it down for a lot of the key starters week 17. So it was three weeks between games for Lamar Jackson and some of the other key players. This year, there's the urgency. There's the panic, the desperation. That contributes quite possibly to the Ravens being impervious to this question of whether or not they're going to fail in the postseason. They've already been winning playoff games. They've won five. What's one more or two more or three more? So they can be very dangerous. I don't want whatever the seating is round one wild card. I don't want the Ravens to be my draw if they get in. Another question from not your Butler, who is the 49ers quarterback of the future? Good question. Good question. And you know, I learned several years ago that anyone who says good question means I don't know. So I'm going to buy some time and think about it while I say that's a good question. So can I say to you, not your butler, that was a very good question. Nobody knows who their quarterback is going to be. It shouldn't be Jimmy Garoppolo for one very specific reason. I know there's a lot of people out there. Why do you hate Jimmy Garoppolo? Look, I I don't like, I don't hate Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I like quarterbacks who are able to play. And you can't be a franchise quarterback if you can't play. Now, there's always a chance of a catastrophic injury that's going to knock you out, like Tom Brady when he took a low hit week one of the 2008 season and wasn't able to play because he had a torn ACL. But this constant injury, 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 and so many games missed by Jimmy Garoppolo, and I understand that there's an explanation for every one of them, although for his ACL, the explanation is he was trying to be tough guy along the sideline, dropping his shoulder and delivering a hit when he didn't need to, and he tore his ACL when he dropped his shoulder to deliver the hit to a Kansas City Chiefs defensive back. Just get out of bounds. Just just suppress the ego and the machismo and the urgency to prove to people that you're tough enough. You have to be able to play. And for Garoppolo, we haven't seen enough of him. And I think for that reason, they need to be looking at all options. And, you know, as Chris said the other day, you can't slam the door on Garoppolo unless you know who your plan B is. But at the same time, I don't know. At a certain point, you just say, we'll take our chances with plan B. Plan B is now plan A because plan A hasn't worked. We've tried it, and it just hasn't been successful for us. Matt McSee, will the Steelers rest everyone for the final two weeks of the season after they clinch the division against Cincinnati? I don't know, I want, but... but, but, but. Why would you rest your your starters for the last two games? You've got the Colts, you've got the Browns. You, I understand that the one seed make. Well, I don't know. The one seed still potentially in play. I'm not a big fan of resting starters. I understand you're exposing your guys to risk. I, I, I just don't like it because you, 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 you potentially jeopardize your readiness for the playoffs. And if you're going to play in the wild card round anyway, there is some value maybe in considering shutting guys down for week 17. But I want to know exactly what the stakes are. If you truly have nothing to play for, maybe you consider resting guys week 17. I'm just not a big fan of that. I say keep it going, keep it rolling. But for the Steelers, they've had such a weird year. Maybe they would benefit from a true bye week. They never had a bye week this year. Their bye week ended up being a week where they got ready to play the Bills or was it the Titans? It was when they got ready to play the Titans, for crying out loud, not the Bills. They just played the Bills this week. Their bye week was the week they spent getting ready to play the Titans, and then they didn't play the Titans, and they played the Titans three weeks after that. So they haven't had a true bye week. There may be value to it. I just I just generally say be very careful about consciously pulling the plug on your team because sometimes it may be difficult to put the plug back in the socket when you need to. Another question, Rodry Jones, 32, will an offensive lineman ever win an AP award? Jason Kelsey deserved offensive rookie of the year in his first season, I thought. I think Shereen Williams has said that she voted for Quentin Nelson of the Colts the year that he was a rookie for uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I just don't think it ever happens because, look, this is the dynamic of football. When the offensive line is playing great, what does that do? It allows the quarterback, the running backs, the receivers, the tight end, to have better seasons. So statistically, those players become the stars while the offensive linemen are grinding it out in relative anonymity. You typically only know about offensive linemen when they're not playing well and guys are running past them and you say, who the hell is that guy that is letting the defensive end continue to run past him and get to the quarterback? If they're playing well, unless it's spectacular, and I remember when the term... Pancake block entered the lexicon back in the 70s or the 80s. And I remember when Bill Fraley, remember that name? Was it Pitt? Many of you don't. The, the, the concept that he was just putting guys on their butts all the time. I mean, if you're doing something spectacular where you just steamroll a guy into the front row of the stadium, that's when you get noticed. That's when people pay attention to you as an offensive lineman. That just doesn't happen very often. It's more about in today's game pass blocking how many offensive linemen are throwing guys onto their butts when they're pass blocking it's more of a defensive posture where you're fending off the attacker and trying to steer him away from your quarterback so it's just very difficult for an offensive lineman because when an offensive lineman is playing well his teammates are playing well and those are the people who will be getting the major awards kevin kelly What is the percentage chance Bill Belichick tanks week 17 versus the Jets to screw them out of the first overall pick? You know, people have been throwing around that possibility. And the Patriots in a position that really they haven't been in in a long time. Matthew Slater, special teams captain, had to talk about where he finds his motivation. This is the first season of his career when he's playing out the string. You know, if, if you truly don't want to spend the next 10 or 15 years dealing with Trevor Lawrence and if you intend to continue to be the coach of the Patriots for the next 10 or 15 years, yeah, there's there's merit in laying down to the Jets. I, I'd be stunned if it happens. and And I can't help but wonder, even if it's the Patriots B team or C team, would they still lose to the Jets? Could the Jets beat the back end of the Patriots roster, because that's how tanking really happens. Nobody's really trying. The players aren't trying to lose. The team puts lesser players on the field and hope nature will take, take its course like the Buccaneers did in the final week of the 2014 season when at halftime they were leading the Saints by double digits. They pulled all their good players. They put their bad players in. The Saints came back and won, and the Buccaneers got Jameis Winston. Even though Jameis Winston ultimately didn't work out, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they did. That's how it would work. I don't know that Bill Belichick would do that, but he's so strategic about everything. If he doesn't want the Jets to get Trevor Lawrence, and if it comes down to losing to the Jets week 17 to keep the Jets from getting Trevor Lawrence, and if the game has no impact whatsoever on the Patriots in any way, shape, or form, then yeah, why not do it? I've been saying for years now. Once you know you're not going to get to the playoffs, who cares if you're 7-9 and 9 or 6-10 and 10 or 5-11? and 11? Who cares? It's not like Bill Belichick has to worry about his job. You get a higher draft pick, and maybe you keep the Jets from getting Trevor Lawrence. So uh, whether he will or not, it's hard to make the argument that he shouldn't, especially if you're a Patriots fan that doesn't want to deal with Trevor Lawrence if he ends up being a great NFL quarterback. Gordo Cleveland, is Kevin Stefanski the greatest coach ever or the most handsome coach ever? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, well, uh, um, uh, Gordo, I don't I don't know that we can really resolve either one of those yet. He's got a lot of competition on the latter category. On the former category, he's got a long way to go. But what he's done so far this year, as we've established and we, as we've discussed, he should be the favorite. I, we had the betting odds yesterday. If we have the graphic available and we can throw it up, that would be great. Mike Tomlin was the favorite. I believe when we talked about it yesterday to be coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski was like plus 900, if I recall correctly, and there's a good chance I don't. I like the bet of Kevin Stefanski. I like the chances of Kevin Stefanski. I would vote for Kevin Stefanski as coach of the year, nine and four right now, having the Browns on the brink of the playoffs for the first time since 2002. And even though there was talent there, they didn't get it done last year and he undid some damage brought in some new systems without the benefit of an off-season program. He's turned that team around. I'm very impressed with what the Browns have done. And there it is, Mike Tomlin, plus 175. And I was right, plus 900 for a change is Kevin Stefanski. A lot of great candidates, though, for Coach of the Year. This is one that's going to be determined based on what happens the last three weeks. And even then, even then, we're not going to know. And and I've been advocating this for years. Associated Press, if you're listening, and there's a good chance you aren't, why, why do we do this one person, one vote for these awards? First place, second place, third place. Weight the votes that way. And then what it allows is a broader swath. You get more people who get recognition. So when the final numbers are tabulated, you get more people who, who deserve recognition for a great season getting votes. And this year, the vote could be all over the place for Coach of the Year. We'll see how that plays out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll wrap up this Thursday edition of PFT Live right after this. There was so much talk in the offseason about what would happen if a coach tests positive for COVID-19. At one point, John Gruden, I think, pretended to test positive at a training camp practice just to get his guys ready for whatever could happen. And you have to be ready for whatever can happen. You never know when, for example, you're going to lose your co-host for half of the show. You have to be ready for it. But uh, what finally has happened here in Week 15, Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants, has tested positive for COVID-19. So when the Giants host the Browns on Sunday night, the coach calling the plays for the New York Giants will be Freddie Kitchens, an assistant coach with the Giants. And the former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, it couldn't have worked out any better than this. I mean, obviously, we hope Jason Garrett's fine, and the vast majority of the NFL figures who have tested positive this year have ultimately been fine. We, we've heard of some complications, and I think for some of the coaches who have had issues, they they really don't broadcast that for privacy reasons, and and maybe uh, you know to, to also not freak people out. But at the same time, Garrett won't be available on Sunday night. And it will be Freddie Kitchens as the Cleveland Browns try to get to 10 and four by beating their old coach. And as their old coach tries to keep the New York Giants in the playoff hunt, Uh, that, that makes that game even more intriguing. I'm looking forward to Browns Giants. It's got an old school feel. It's been flexed into Sunday night football. Sorry, Cowboys 49ers, which once was a great game. That was like the annual conference championship in the NFC for four straight years. In the 90s, that game's out. Browns Giants in. Freddie Kitchens in, calling the plays for the New York Giants. We still don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy will be checking the injury reports over the course of the next few days. Yesterday's injury report, and here's how I saw this. I didn't see it on the injury report. On Twitter, I saw trending, in all caps, fractured throat. And I had no idea what that meant. And it turned out that Lions center Frank Ragnow suffered a fractured throat while playing on Sunday and finished the game with the injury to his larynx which can be fatal which when, when if if you do enough damage to that area that is uh all too exposed on the human body uh you can't breathe so a fairly serious situation and Ragnar unlikely to play this weekend because of it but the fact that he made it through the rest of the game he couldn't talk That's uh, one of the products of the injury, so uh, we wish him the best as he recovers from it. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of PFT Live. Have a great Thursday.